Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 6 as we start a new chapter today. The title of our Bible study is God's Grace Triumphs Over Evil. And you may want to pause there for a moment and let that sink in. God's grace triumphs over evil. And as we open up the Bible study in the book of Genesis, remember things started out exceptionally well. God would look at his creation and seven times he would declare that it was good. And there it was, the lush, perfect environment, the garden, the perfect creation, the crown jewel, Adam and Eve. For how long, we're not sure exactly, but enjoying for as long as they did the intimate relationship and fellowship with God, untainted by sin. We've never experienced that, ever, in our lives. We look forward to it, but Adam and Eve enjoyed it. And there was harmony among the animals, harmony in marriage. There was harmony in creation. So much so, the harmony with animals, so much so that Eve struck up a conversation with the serpent that pursued her and dwelt by the devil himself. And he tempted her to disobey God, questioned, questioned not only the word of God, if that wasn't enough, but inferred in his question, he questioned the goodness of God. Let me just say, that is a spiritual battle for your life day after day. Your spiritual health, your emotional health, like, like your vitality hinges on the fact that, it doesn't hinge on the fact that whether God is good or not, God is good. That, that is a fact. It hinges on whether you believe it in the moment. Do you believe that God is good when things don't go your way? Do you believe that God is good when things aren't lining up the way that you wanted or your dreams have been shattered or great difficulties have entered your life or you're dealing with the consequence of sin all around you? Do you believe it? And the temptation was too much. And Adam and Eve both took of the fruit and it's been downhill from there. Immediately sin and death entered the world. Multiple curses are given. Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. And the first deceit, and the first murder, and even hints of things to come. I want you to jot this down and write it over Genesis chapter 6. It's Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Listen, this is what it says. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Abounding grace. The goodness of God. Yes, sin abounded. That is the true story in the book of Genesis. Abounding sin met with abounding grace. Pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose 
And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So let me pause here for a moment and before we jump into these verses and just say, such a controversial verse, and most of the attention is spent on the controversy, we will address the controversy of who are these sons of God and what's happening here. I'll, I'll address it. But there's so much more that surrounds it. And I just want to encourage you, please, church, when you're reading the Bible, there's a lot of controversy, a lot of debatable passages, a lot of things that people like to argue about. But can I just beg you as a brother, as a pastor, don't be someone that argues all the time about things that are debatable, but rather be a brother, be a sister that lives out the things that are not debatable. Live out the things that are obvious and clear in the scriptures. It's, it gets, it's, it's wearying at times, and perhaps you've experienced this, where people just want to argue about things that have absolutely no eternal significance whatsoever. You just want to stop and go, who have you led to the Lord lately? Oh, I don't, I don't have any time to lead in the Lord because I'm doing all this time of studying. Yeah, but it's leading you. It's foolish and ignorant disputes, the Bible says. That's what they are. And by the way, the Bible says to Paul, to young Timothy, but also to us by application, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. And this just happens to be one of them. Who and what's happening here? But before we get to it, I want you to consider as we enter chapter 6, this one verse. And it will be, for the next couple chapters, remember this one teaching of Jesus. He said it in Matthew 24, verse 38. He said, For as in the, day, as in the days before the flood, we're entering those days here in chapter 6, as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of Son of Man be. Jesus said, you want to pay attention to what was happening in Noah's day. And for us, we have the scriptures here recorded for us what's happening in Noah's days. If you're taking notes, we'll repeat this, but I want to give it to you today. Here are a few things that were happening during the days of Noah. Number one, there was a massive population explosion. Now, to some degree, some estimate there was 130 billion people on the planet. You know, that seems like a high number to me, but there were a lot of people giving the math from generations from Adam and Eve to the, it's possible, billions of people. Massive amounts of people. Secondly, there was abnormal sexual perversity in the days of Noah. It's nothing new. Nothing new. We think we're experiencing things. The delivery mechanism might be new, but the root of sexual sin is not new. Thirdly, there were skewed views of marriage. There were skewed views of marriage, including rampant sexual immorality. And you could say, in a very real way, marriage was being redefined. Marriage was being, I mean, already we've already seen bigamy and the flood hasn't even come yet. Uh, we haven't even got to the days of Noah yet. And there was already bigamy. So marriage was being undermined and minimized. Fourthly, there was a wicked and corrupt minds. As we'll learn in a moment, there were vain imaginations. Like people who were just spending time inventing evil to participate in. 
And then finally, there was evil violence, an unbridled violence, man against man. And so the days of Noah, we must pay attention to as we study these chapters in the coming weeks. So let's get to the controversy. It says in verse 2, the sons of God, they saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, took wives for themselves who they chose. And then verse 4, there's giants on the earth in those days. Also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, bore children to them, and there were mighty men of old, men of renown. So first of all, before we even begin to define them, notice that the observation of this time frame in verse 2, or excuse me, in verse 3, God's opinion of what's happening here is that his spirit shall not strive with man forever because he's indeed flesh and his days shall be 120 years. So there is no longer God sees the perversity on the earth and he's not going to strive forever. He's not going to fight. He's going to allow you and give yourself. He's going to give people up to their own vile desires. Give them up, as we learn in Romans, to a debased mind. So there's a lot of perversity, sexual perversity here. So here's a couple views on the sons of God. Number one, many believe they are simply believers marrying unbelievers. Many people teach that. Possibly the sons of Cain with the daughters of Seth, as we saw the godly and ungodly lines. I don't really see that. It doesn't seem to fit the context whatsoever um, at all because there's some descriptive words here. If uh, God wanted to say it was the line of Seth, he would have said it was the line of Seth, line of Cain. Secondly, another view that holds that the sons of God here are in fact references to a select group of fallen angels. Demonic realm. We see that in Job chapter 2 and Job 38, but also in Job 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came with them. A very direct reference to the angelic realm. Now, in support of view number two, we know that Satan was already in the garden. And we know that his demonic horde is already roaming throughout the earth. We know in Genesis chapter 19, later on in Genesis, that angels came in the form of men to visit Abraham. And they wanted to participate in a very carnal, sexual, sinful way in that time frame. And so it's possible. And one objection to that viewpoint, if you want to turn over, go over to Luke chapter 20 in verse 34 in Luke 20, one objection to the second view uh, is here in verse 34, Luke chapter 20. Jesus is describing the demonic realm, the angelic realm, and he says, Jesus answered, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore for they're equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of of the resurrection. And and so there is a comparison of humans to the angelic realm, and then the comparison to the angelic realm, Jesus says they don't marry. They don't have relations like that. They don't have offspring. So you could take the information. There's even more information available. You know, the reality is the way that you can get around that, if you look at the sons of men here, is that they are demonic. There are the demons inhabiting humans, and some weird thing happened. Uh, between them, 
Um, so, you know, a host of angels had already followed Lucifer in the original, in the initial rebellion, and now some of these fallen angels have fallen even lower, so they've even done more vile, wicked, now there's levels of the demonic realm. Um, we see that in 2 Peter chapter 2, now, when we studied that. We also saw it in Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but he talked about the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Uh, and it says, uh, they left their own abode. He's reserved an everlasting chain. So there's even a group of angels, demonic of demons that are worse than other demons. Uh, but the key here is this, whether they're demons uh, having some kind of sexual relations with humans, I don't, I don't hold to that view. There's no biblical evidence for that view at all, that the demonic, the demons can have sexual relations with humans and have some kind of offspring. There's no. The idea that I could lean toward uh, just as I look at this, that they're inhabiting, they're, these are demon-possessed men. Um, I can't see that in the scriptures. But the point actually isn't that. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is not to specifically define what's happening or even how it's happening. The point of the passage is this. It is happening. And it's perverse. And it is weird. And it is not God's desire and it is not God's will, and it is going to bring the precipitation of God's judgment on the world. The, the de demonic realm is real. Sin is abounding on the earth. I mean, we, we're only a few chapters away from the garden. I know we're quite a few generations from the garden, but we're only a few chapters from the garden, and look how bad it has gotten. Let me just say this on a more personal level. If you begin to compromise in your own personal relationship with God, if you begin to dabble with sin, if you begin toward sin, you take a step toward sin, just understand the second step will also be toward sin. And then the third step, until before you know it, you're going to have a problem, a sinful problem on your hand with many consequences that is going to require repentance. Remember, repentance is a wholesale turning away. So if you're taking step after step after step and you think back to where you were in the Lord, in order to get back there, you're going to have to turn around and go back. It will require repentance. I, I, compromise, you might want to jot this down, compromise gives birth to more compromise. Compromise does not lead you toward the Lord. Now, I'm not speaking about the kind of compromise that you may have. You know, what are we going to have for dinner, honey? Well, I want this and you want this. Well, let's meet in the middle. I'm not speaking about that. Not the kind of compromise that we might meet in the middle for the sake of each other. I'm speaking of spiritual compromise towards sin. I'm speaking of using the liberties and freedoms that you have and instead of using them for you to grow in the things of God, you use them for your own personal preferences. You no longer ask the question, is this God, what God really wants? But instead you elevate your own freedoms. And let me just say, it doesn't have to be gross sin. And let me just say, it happens to all of us. The temptation for compromise. And ask anyone that's gone the long road where they made one little compromise and a year later they are wholesale sold out to sin, talk to them. Find them. They're all around the church. You might hear a testimony of somebody describing their backsliding, their back. They came back after backsliding. Well, that's a story to be heard if they would be willing to tell it. 
if they'd be open to share their testimony, that's one you want to hear. Because you too will be tempted with compromise. And if you choose the route, if I choose the route of compromise, we too will face great consequences of sin. I mean, do you really think, and for the sake of those that might not agree with me, do you really think compromise, spiritual compromise, sinful compromise, is something you can control? Well, you know, I can control my compromise, Pastor, and I can go so far. Again, hear the testimonies. Hear the testimonies. Do you think of the prodigal son? We spend a lot of time talking about his time away from dad, don't we? We spend a lot of time looking at the emphasis of uh, how far he was gone and what he got into in the prodigal living. But his prodigal decision, his, his life of prodigal living started way before he left home. How do you get to a place where you crave your father's inheritance so much that you would leave your family, leave your dad high and dry? Literally, when you think of him asking for the inheritance, literally he's looking his dad in the eye and saying, I wish you were dead because I want my money now. I don't want to wait for your inheritance. Want, I want my money now, which really wasn't his, and I want my own life, and I want to leave you high and dry. That his prodigal living didn't happen the day he left. There was a series of decisions that we aren't told, we aren't given insight, that happened while he was at home. And so the controversy here sometimes clouds the reality of how we got here. This is where we are from the temptation in the garden. This is where we're at now. This is man's inherited sin, behavioral sin, and now the demonic realm gets all mixed up and things are abound, sin is abounding. And God's response in verse three is, I'm not gonna strive with men. I'm not always gonna be striving with men. And what a sad day when man turns his back for good, where God gives him over to a debased mind. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And here, that long-suffering God saying, it's not going to be forever. It's not going to happen forever. God's, and, and when he says here 120 years, uh, as you look in verse 3, I don't believe he's limiting, um, but mourning of a coming judgment. Warning of a coming judgment that will be just a short time. It will happen very quickly. Notice verse 5 now. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, or in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made man. Man's mind had become so polluted that even in his imagination, or what the New Testament would call vain or empty imaginations, are dreaming up ways to commit evil. Imagination is from the Hebrew word, root word, that speaks of a potter, fashioning. So you have, you know, the illustration of the potter being 
uh, related to God the Father and you and I the clay and he's fashioning us. But now the same root word is used to describe the fashioning of evil. Man is fashioning evil and godless philosophies and obscene idols, developing perverted and depraved sex acts. And think for a moment. In the first century, they don't have any of the modern day technology that we have. And yet they're corrupt to the point where a whole worldwide judgment will come from God. They don't have TV. They don't have the internet. They can't DVR different things. They don't have billboards. They can't flip on YouTube. They can't have all these. They're... They don't have the delivery systems that we have today, but they had similar delivery systems. What, what you could say that they were committing sin and creating sin and imagining sin with the latest technology of the day. Of what they had available to them. And it's important that we stay away from imagining evil. Daydreaming about sin and the like, you know, thinking that you're in a hard time in your marriage right now and you start daydreaming about getting out of it. Maybe someone else. You're thinking ahead or you may be thinking behind. I can't tell you how many times this testimony's crossed my desk where there's some dis- discomfort or there is some difficulty in marriage and they start looking back to high school, going back on Facebook to go find an old high school love or a old high school flame and before you know it they're connecting up and then divorce and you're like what happened what about the kids what about marriage what about it was just a bump in the road it wasn't the entirety why are you well because you're you have vain imaginations it's like oh it'll be better no it won't be better no you don't understand that it'll be better no you don't understand it won't be better it'll be worse in many ways and you don't want to have those the these godless thought processes You want to take every thought into captivity to what? The obedience of Christ. So you can pull down strongholds and you can take down those things that want to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4, 5, and 6. You may want to memorize that if you have a battle in the mind. The spiritual warfare for your life and mine, is a battle of the mind. What will you believe? Because what I believe will dictate how I behave. Which means I can watch certain behaviors and work backwards from those behaviors and say, I think I know what you believe. Well, how could you possibly know that? Because I've been watching you. I've been seeing how you've operated and I can back through that. Like, like, for example, someone that would leave here today and go out partying tonight. Let's just say that. Certainly on Saturday nights, that happens quite a bit. You come to church Saturday night. Uh, we, we even had someone, we remember that one time, we had somebody, uh, it was a gal changing in the restroom, uh, and she was going out to party right afterwards. Well, with that behavior, I could tell you right now, I could tell you right now uh, a part of the behavior of that person many years ago. They have no fear of God in their life. What do you mean I have no fear of God? What are you doing? What are you you going to be doing? Oh, I'm going to go be sharing the gospel at the club. No, you're not. I mean, you change your clothes. You change your clothes, and you know what you're heading out to do. And I could just say that's part of it. You have no fear of God. And then the resistance of that, the resistance of that then starts to show again. You have no respect for God's word. The Bible is very clear about Peter saying, you know, I left the party scene behind. 
The Bible is very clear. The party scene is not going to get you. You know, they're not going to stop the whole clubbing thing. They're not going to dry up the bar, turn everything down and say, okay, sit down, guys. Let's have a Bible study. It's not going to take you to the Lord. And, and that's just one little example. I, I remember the time, speaking of bathrooms, in our bathroom, that I felt the Lord was leading me to share a little bit about doing drugs and about, hey, stay away from them. And, and you're right down in the bathroom doing drugs right now. And guess what? There was somebody in the bathroom that evening doing drugs in one of the stalls, smoking pot in one of the stalls. And the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of their heart temporarily. But I could tell you, there's no fear of God in that person. And that's a big problem, isn't there? Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So now I know you're not walking in wisdom. That's a very unwise thing to do. I mean, we go, well, what's wrong with smoking pot? It's legal. Kids use that bathroom. That's, what's, that, that's number one. This, is, this building belongs to the Lord. This is God's house, if you want to call it that. What are you thinking? Well, I have freedom, Ed. Not here you don't. Not here. No, you cannot smoke pot in the bathroom. So if you're in a stall right now, stop it. Stop it. And if it's not good in the bathroom, it's not good in your car. You shouldn't be driving after smoking pot. It's not good before you go to work. Or after you, if it's not good one place, it's not good another place. And the fear of God, God would lead you that way. He would lead you away from things that harm you. Listen, God would lead you away from things that harm you, but you like it. That's deceitful, isn't it? That we could like sin so much that we would destroy ourselves all the while liking that we're being destroyed by sin itself. Now, come back to this phrase, sorry. A lot of, a lot of folks like to argue this as well. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Lord was sorry. He says it twice in verse 7. Um, sometimes this word can be translated grieved, but many will... Many will read into this. There's a theology, this is one of the proof texts of a false teaching known as open theism. Very simply, open theism is a teaching that says God learns what's happening at the same time you learn it. So that he doesn't know, he's not omniscient. They ascribe that to the Greek philosophies and that God's not omniscient. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I don't want a God that doesn't know what's happening until I know what's happening. Uh, I want to trust a God that's working all things together for the good because I love him. I, I want to trust a God that has the beginning and the end already known. And so what about this language? Well, first of all, understand that human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit are writing the scriptures and they are writing the scriptures from a human perspective using human terminology to describe God so that will help us to relate to him. Now, God does the same thing. God does the same thing by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to relate to us how? By putting on a human body. God living in human flesh. So that through the life of Christ, through the life of Christ in a human body, we can relate to him. So that Jesus would say to you and me, he would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father who is unseen. So they're using human, there is a fancy word for that. It's the word anthropomorphism. 
And it's simply a word that describes the Bible using human terminology to describe a timeless God. He, using limited language to describe the unlimited God. And it's an emotional word. God is responding emotionally to what he sees on the earth. Well, what, how, how, he already knew that was going to happen. Why would he have emotion? Because we are created in the image of God. Like, let, let me say this. If, so why would God be emotional over this? Why would he look at and express regret or sorry or grief over, over what's happening with man? Well, well think about this. Now, let's just say you're in my office and you're describing, you know what, I am going to go party. That's what I want to do. And you can't, you, who are you? You're nobody. You're just a pastor. I don't need your advice. And, and I, I'm in my office. I'm sitting there. I'm going, look, the path you're about to take, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be difficult. It's, it's going to wreck your life. And they go out going, I don't care what you say. You're nobody to me. I don't even know why I'm in this church. I really don't care. I don't listen to you. I don't, li I don't care. I'm going to go do what I want. And I watch you go, and then I go back into life. You come back a year later. I don't see you for a year. You come back to a year later, and you start telling me everything that you were into for the last year. It was just one little party you were going to go to, but it started a series of events. Don't you think I'm going to be sorry and sad? Don't you think that I'm going to express something? I knew it was going to happen. I mean, I didn't know exactly but I mean, you could predict what's going to happen. You make that choice. There's a, there is consequence. You, you have someone, a trusted person in your life, you just blow them off like they're no big deal because you disagree with them. That, that's going to have a consequence. So you come back a year later. It's not going to be in my office. I told you so. It's going to be in my office crying over the destruction. It didn't have to happen. And so when you read, or when you read something like this, God just describing, it's like, I'm sorry. It, it's, it's grieving to him. He was grieved in his heart, verse 6, it says. He, he is experiencing great emotion as Moses records this. And in that, now God fully knowing. Like, you can fully know something and still experience the full weight of it. You, you can have knowledge and emotion. You know, because you know something doesn't mean you're going to be less emotional. I would suggest this to you. The more you know, the more emotional you'll become. And, you know, I know we always kind of pray to God. I wish I knew what the future holds. I wish I knew what next year would hold. I wish I knew how the next five years are going to turn out. I want to know. Actually, it wouldn't be very good for you to know the next five years, especially if in the next five years, the worst tragedy of your life will take place. You don't want to know that ahead of time. You don't want to, you don't want to know day one that something's going to happen on the last day of five years. You're going to live miserably. You just want to live by faith. That's why God says, here, I'm going to tell you the best way to live your life. Live by, you trust me. You trust me. You trust me day one, day 365, day 700. You trust me. Well, what if calamity comes? Well, you've already built up a life of trust. You'll trust me when it comes. What if the greatest thing happened? Well, you know what? You've already learned how to trust me, so you'll celebrate and give me thanks for the best thing in your life. Life is faith. It's not knowledge. It's not, we don't live by explanations, I think Wearsby said. We don't live by knowledge. We live by faith. And the knowledge that we gain is to understand the character and nature of God of whom our faith is in. So notice now, world's going downhill fast. And then verse 8 is beautiful, isn't it? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect, or you might see in your Bible, blameless. So not perfect in like he's never sinned, but blameless in all his generations. Noah walked with God. Remember back in chapter 5, verse 24? Methuselah lived, or excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 24. And Enoch walked with God. And now we have in verse 9 of chapter 6, Noah walked with God. It is a good decision to walk with God. You have made the decision to surrender your life to your creator and live your life following him, reading your Bible, praying, living a life that reflects his character, his love. It is a wise choice and many have made the choice before you. It is a good thing to know that you walk with God, that that's your reputation. Now, in verse 8, this is the first mention, and you want to pay attention to the first mentions in the Bible. This is the first mention of grace. The word grace means unmerited favor, undeserved love. Right there in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation was a man who stood out. So we live, too, in a crooked and perverse generation, and, and I, would, I wonder what you're looking for. I wonder what you're looking for. Are you flipping on the news to look for more things to complain about? You'll find them. You're living then. There is more than enough to complain about, more than enough to freak out about, more than enough. I just got a notification just earlier today that said they found one rare case of monkeypox. And we're like, oh, here it goes. You want to, I didn't even ask for it. So now I got to turn that off. No more monkeypox notifications. But you have to ask yourself, if you turn on the news, local, national, particular channels, and you want to find stuff to be upset about, no problem. You want to find stuff to complain about, no problem. You, you want to find stuff to be upset about, no problem. And they'll feed it, and they'll feed it, and they'll feed it. Why? Because that's how you make money in this country. Negative. Difficulty. So... Here we got, this, this is Noah's day. We can't do anything about our culture. Sin is sin, sin's gonna continue. And the question though is, what are you looking for? You can't really do much about the culture. I mean, on a global scale, on a macro scale, right? You, you can do a lot about the culture by sharing the gospel. It goes on a family's change, the whole generation changes. So the gospel is very powerful. It is the hope of all mankind, no doubt to be changed from the inside out. But what are you looking for? When you turn on that particular channel, what do you think you're going to find? What do you think you're going to find? Grace? Is there grace on that channel? Is that what you're looking for? I need more grace tonight. Okay, click, click, click. Uh, it's not the grace channel. Not the grace website. That, that's not the grace email list you're on or the text messages you're receiving that you signed up for because it's a group of people that are also upset about what's going on and you want to know more to be upset about so you signed up for all of that so you can you'll never have written of you if that's your life today you're not going to find grace there grace isn't in the complainers grace isn't in the perversity Grace isn't in the human inventions and philosophies. You know, every position has a philosophy. And there are human philosophies 
and there are spiritual philosophies. What are you looking for? Because that's what you'll find. And here, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he walked with God. And I believe today, walking with God has been so redefined that there's behaviors among believers today that should never be named of the name of Christ, but they call it walking with God. Walking with God is going to lead you to grace because you're going to be looking for grace. Yeah, so, you know, the crime is up and it's very difficult, very hard and very challenging, even as we see it surrounding the church property here as of late, increasing all sorts. You're right. But we must choose to look for the grace of God in situations. We can't allow the world to swallow us up with evil and darkness crowding out the grace of God. I think of some of the things that happen around our city and happen around, you know, even, you know, among the kids in our school. And I think, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. But that's where I was before I got saved. That's where I lived. And God was so gracious that where sin abounded in my life, grace much more abounded. And now that I've been walking with him for 33 years, 30, 31 years, I don't want to take for granted my walk with the Lord. I don't want to take for granted that, well, here I am. I am the perfect example. Just like Noah, I am perfect in all my generations. No, but I do believe I'm blameless. I do believe I live a life above reproach. But I also know there are those seasons and times where I'm tempted not to look for grace. I'm tempted that when I hear something, it provokes my flesh. I was talking to a brother recently, and he asked me about a particular podcast. And I said, no, 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 I don't listen to that podcast. He goes, well, why? And I said, because it provokes a part of my flesh that doesn't need to be provoked. And that's just a straight up. He doesn't even know why. It's just it provokes my flesh in a way. The Bible tells me I need to obey the word. The Bible says make no provision for the flesh. So yeah, it might be a great podcast. It might be whatever. I don't even know because I, 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 I don't even want to go there because I know it will provoke parts of me that will be very harmful to you. Oh yeah, it'll be harmful to me, harmful to Marie, harmful to Mike. But it'll be harmful to you too because it will interrupt my ability to serve you and hear from the Lord on your behalf to pray for us to serve you well. Noah found grace. What have you been finding? What have you been finding? Now, by the way, you know, God is looking too. Did you know that? Just jot it down. Listen to this. This is so good. It says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, listen, it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So think about it. You're flipping on that channel or that podcast or that email, whatever, book you're reading, whatever famous deal, whatever it is that culture's throwing your way now, even in a way that makes it sound Christian, all of that, okay? All of that. You define it. I don't need to define it for you. I know it provokes my flesh. Do you know what provokes your flesh? That's the key. So in all of that, do you think you will be found by the Lord getting him in the flesh? Like, that's a guy I want to use. He's a very fleshly person. I think I can use her a lot. No. No. Because the flesh, you know, especially with frustrations and things, the flesh usually leads to anger and wrath. And the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
And so you'll hear these lone little voices, these quiet little voices. They almost sound like whispers and, and you know, maybe even a mousy type voice. We need to get back to the word. We need to get back to prayer. We, we need to get back to trusting God with the affairs of life. We, we need to read our Bibles and pray every day, asking God for wisdom on how to live. We need to live in the grace and the mercy of God. Make no provision. You'll hear these little whispers. And if you don't, you're not careful, you won't hear it because everybody's screaming so loud. And you're hearing all the screams. And, and yet that s- simple, consistent standing in the grace of God. God is looking. And I pray as his eyes are going to and fro that they stop on us. They stop on me. I still want to be used of God. I don't believe God is done using my life. I don't believe teaching a Bible study is all that God wants to do in my life. I believe he wants me to visit hospitals and he wants me to pray and he wants me to meet with pastors. And like I believe I want to be used more, not less. I desire more from my relation. I want to walk with God more, not less. And so here's Noah. Again, you've got this little bracket because in verse 11, the earth was also corrupt before God filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt and all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come upon me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, It's width 50 cubits, it's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with a lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing the flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under the earth all the flesh in which is the breath of life and everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons, Wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark. Keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind. Every creeping thing of the earth shall, after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourselves of all the food that's eaten. You shall gather it to yourself. It shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Well, the Lord had us go in another direction uh, in our Bible study, so we're going to save the rest of this. I don't want to just read through it and gloss over it because it's very important. And I believe God had a word for us today. For those of us gathered, those that are listening to this at a later time, I believe it was a word from the Lord. You will find what you're looking for, church. Take that to the bank spiritually. If you're looking for grace, you need to look in the right places. Grace originates with God. It will not be in the abounding sin that grace is found. It will be found in the Lord. Abounding sin will be all around us. But you find grace in the eyes of the Lord. You find grace in the presence of God. You find grace in his word. And then you take that 
and you become a very gracious person in a very ungracious world. And it doesn't seem like it works. Let's just be honest. It doesn't seem like it works. It seems like evil will triumph. It seems like evil is making progress. It seems like Christianity is just being dismissed like a byword and everything. You know, you, you read, I just had a brother send me this article about how the kids are just being swallowed up by this culture. But you know, this, this is the thing. Parents, grandparents, your kids cannot be swallowed up by the culture. You have a responsibility. Let me show you in Deuteronomy. You know, it's sad for the kids that are living in the world, but man, this, this should not be named among us as believers. Parents, raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. Train them in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Grandparents, if it's, it's never too late to pour into those kids, aunts and uncles that have nieces and nephews, listen, when you're reading an article like that, let it not be named among the church. Now, again, we don't control our kids' decisions when they come of age. We don't control that. So as a parent today, you go, but Ed, that's what I did. And my son and daughter still X and Y and Z, and I know it's very painful. But what you did, you did under the Lord. You can trust him. But Ed, that's not what I did. And look where my kids are now. Okay, so now it's, today's the day where you, like, I got to get things right in my life so I can speak truth into my kids' life. But they won't listen. You know what? The word of God goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which it's sent. So we're not responsible for the outcome. We're only responsible for our obedience and faithfulness. Notice in Deuteronomy 6 with me, foundational passage for us as parents. Let it not be named among us as a church. Please don't think the academy here is going to raise your kids. Don't think the Sunday school teacher is going to raise your kids. Don't think we as pastors are going to raise your kids. We're going to partner with you to help you raise your kids. You're the ones that have the responsibility to raise your kids. We love your kids. We serve your kids. We'll sow seeds of the gospel. We'll discipline them. We'll make hard decisions when necessary. We'll love them, praise them, celebrate with them. But they're your kids. We never confuse that here. They're your children. And we respect that place that you have in their life. Why? Because God put you in that place. They're your grandkids. They're your, your kids. And this is your responsibility as from the Lord. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them, how does it say in your Bible? Diligently. This is more important than your career. More important than your new car. More important than the clothes you're interested in. This is more important than any activity in this world. You shall teach them diligently. And let me just say, diligence is in all of us. The question is, where is it? Where is it pointed? This isn't something you need, something you need to pray about, something that you just, you know you're already diligent. There are parts of your life that you are into, man. That, this is just what you do. The Bible says that you're to teach these things to your kids diligently. Talk about them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, bind them on, as a sign on your hand, 
frontlets on your eyes, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is the word of the Lord for us today. This is it. Look for grace. Even Noah, you read ahead, you guys know that Genesis, Noah wasn't a perfect dad. He failed, made mistakes, had some problem kid, had a problem son for sure. Nothing's guaranteed. Everyone makes their own decisions. But if you don't raise your kids, someone will. If you don't teach your kids, someone will. And don't buy into the lies of the, of the world about quality, quantity, time, all this trying. Just give your kids your time. Raise them in the ways of the Lord. I think of how many, you know, how hard it is. I know it's hard. It's Midweek Bible study is so hard, but how many parents go, nah, I don't want to deal with my messed up kid in the morning uh, because I don't want them up all night. Okay. That's, I respect that's a decision you can make as a parent, but I want you to ask yourself, what's the message you're sending? What's the message you're sending? It's not just verbally, but also by practice. And then again, if it's not coming to Bible study, not coming to event, not, whatever it might be that might help you, it's not going to do it for you, but it will help you and you choose an alternative, it sends a message. Now, I'm not speaking to you, it might be sick tonight or things that happen in life. But please, if this is a word to your heart, receive it and obey it, just like at the end. And that's where I'll close back. And we'll pick up these verses next time, but I'll take you back to um, Genesis 6 and the end there. This is a beautiful thing, a beautiful example of Noah. Notice what he says. He says in verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Isn't that great? I love it. Let it be the picture of our life. So Father, uh, I thank you for this excursion. Uh, not where I thought we would be, but I receive it. I want to be obedient to it. Even with a, I, probably because the kids are on my mind with junior high probably because the kids are on my mind from the field trip to the ark in the creation museum. Probably because grandkids are on my mind for other reasons. My heart is just in my own life to find grace. I want to lead others to find grace. I don't want to find problems. I don't want to find difficulties in the sense that would disrupt me in the flesh. But I want to be in a place of grace so that I can be gracious in an ungracious world. And I pray that into our church's life tonight. I realize most of the church isn't here. They'll be here this weekend. And they, I hope they listen and maybe check in, some of them at least, or whatever, the sovereign work of your Holy Spirit. But even in their bed and even at their work, maybe they're working tonight, uh, that you would empower them and inspire them. You say in the last days you'll turn the Father's hearts back toward the kids. So let it be done according to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.